Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women Podcast, where we are reclaiming half the bookshelf by talking about books by or about women. And today we have Amy Ettinger, who will be talking to us about her new book about ice cream called Sweet Spot, and that is out from Dutton. So welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I know, we're like, <laughs> ice cream, that's all we want to talk about right now, is ice cream, basically. We were like, yes, please. Uh, we were asking each other about all of the different ice cream that we were learning about, and I was like, soda fountains make so much more sense now. <laughs> it's amazing the history there that people don't know about, and it's it's just, it's been there, you know, for hundreds of years. I have long said that people underappreciate ice cream, and I thought I was in the minority, especially among my friends, so it's good to know that there are kindred spirits out there who are just as crazy about it as I am. Absolutely. Um, Lots of people who I've talked to in writing this book who are equally obsessed. I I wouldn't say I met anybody who was more obsessed, but equally obsessed with it, (laughs) which made me feel good. When I went to Philadelphia specifically, I sort of felt like I had found my people. Everybody I talked to about the book Understood. Nobody said, well, you're writing a book about what? Everybody just said, of course, ice cream. I, let me tell you about my favorite place. And it was, it was wonderful. That is really an ice cream loving town. I'm going to have to go there it's, now. Yeah, it's your mecca. <laughs> they have amazing ice cream. The, uh, America's oldest ice cream company is at the Reading Terminal Market. It's Bassett's. And I have to tell you, it is, it is phenomenal okay. ice cream. It's really amazing. Well, I know where my next vacation is. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go in winter. Okay, good to know. (laughs) Well, this segues perfectly into our first question, which is, in your introduction, you do a great job of, like, explaining, like, the role that ice cream has played, like, in your life and in your childhood and kind of, like, how that led to this obsession with ice cream. We're all obsessed about things. So, like, what made you finally decide to, like, turn this into a book? So I have always eaten a lot of ice cream. We always did in my family. And then I got pregnant and everything, the stakes went even higher. I mean, I was eating ice cream (laughs) once a day, sometimes twice a day. I was every stereotype that you can imagine about a pregnant lady. I was traveling to different parts of the Bay Area because I wanted to try different flavors. And all these artisanal ice cream shops were opening. So it was an even better excuse to go out and, and sample it. And then I had my daughter and things got a little bit, things slowed down. I, I, I thought at that time, oh, it'd be wonderful to write this book, but I was really busy and I sort of changed gears and I thought, well, maybe, maybe a less reported um, book, maybe I could do something about memoir. I was really interested in digging into my childhood experiences and writing about that. I started that actually. I started the memoir before I started the ice cream book. Things stalled a little bit. Then I took a step back. We moved to Santa Cruz, California, where we live now. There are two artisanal ice cream makers here within half a mile of each other that have this incredible rivalry with each other. They opened within six months. They both went to the University of California, Santa Cruz, and there's this rivalry. And I thought, wow, what if I can write about these stories, these rivalries, the small artisanal places that are opening, the history of ice cream, and I can also write about my childhood? 
because nothing takes me back more in my childhood than, than eating certain flavors of ice cream. And so it all came together that way a few years ago. And, and I sat down and I started tearing up my memoir and I started doing the reporting that I needed to do to make it the book that I wanted it to be. Yeah, that sounds like you combined your career in journalism with the memoir and you created something all new altogether. Exactly. I mean, I, I actually started in journalism... I was writing about myself. When I was a 19-year-old, I got this really fun gig writing a monthly column for the San Jose Mercury News, which is a, a paper that we have out here. And I was writing about being a, you know, a Generation Xer. And I, I had this opportunity to really use my voice and, and tell these first-person stories. It was wonderful. But then when I graduated from college, I'm like, oh, it's really actually quite hard to get a job as a columnist. <laughs> I better go learn how to be a journalist. And so I did that. And I, I got to do a lot of great reporting, but I always have been attracted to stories where I can use my voice and really, you know, tell a, a, tell a story from a, a first person perspective as well as combine the journalism. This book allowed me to do that. And I was so happy to be able to, to combine both. And I think you do it really well because I felt like the balance between like it was informative and fun, but then also I felt like we learned a lot about, you know, the recipes that you created and your history and your family. So very successful. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And, you know, I find I love history. I love little tidbits of history, but I, I, I kind of I'm the MTV generation. I have like a slow, slow attention span, you know, or a, a short attention span. And I, I feel like people want to learn this history, but they need to be given it in a, in a way that is palatable, you know, so to speak, like making it small and then putting in the memoir and these first person accounts and, and the journalism along with it to, to give it life. Yeah. And I really enjoyed how you made it sort of like a journey, how you were traveling across the country to, you know, sample all of these different types of ice cream, which I didn't even realize there were so many. That really segues into, I guess, to our next question, which is, as you traveled throughout the country, you tell us about like custard, different types of milk, making different types of ice cream and gelato and just all these different types. Uh, so what do you think that those differences say about the people who live in the area? And did you discover any cool tidbits or info that you'd like to share with us about that? Yeah, I think the regional differences are so interesting. And one of the things that, that was interesting to me was how people take such pride in the, in the regional differences. So I mentioned Philadelphia a little bit. Such an ice cream loving town, you know, really where um, American ice cream got started. You know, we, there's Bassett's there, Briars was there, um, or started out of there. And they are known, Philadelphia is known for eggless ice cream. They make their ice cream without eggs there, which I have to tell you is so complicated. If you've ever made ice cream at home, eggs are one of the primary components in how you, how you make it. So the fact that it's there and it's so delicious, it's still very rich, wonderful ice cream and very, very different from say Milwaukee, which I traveled to where they have frozen custard and frozen custard is almost the opposite in the sense that it has more eggs than actual ice cream. And it's really rich and really dense and so delicious. And the people that I spoke with there are so proud of the fact that they have this regional specialty frozen custard, which you can't, you can't get it shipped to you. I mean, 
it's one of those delights that you have to eat right on the spot. So you go to Leon's or you go to Cops and you order your scoop and you eat it there and it's this wonderful experience, but you try to take a pint of it home and it's not quite the same. The consistency changes. You know, I talked to the folks who are making the custard and I said, well, you know, what makes your custard so delicious? Why is it different from, say, any other ice cream I would get? And they have this regional pride and and they claim that, well, we have Wisconsin cream, which is the best cream that you could possibly get in the country. And of course, you know, we have these happy cows and of course we're going to have wonderful um, ice cream treats that I'm sorry, you just, you're not going to get that in California. The cows are not that happy. And, you know, but if you talk to California farmers, they'll say, well, our cows are perfectly happy. (laughs) I haven't heard any complaints. And you have really wonderful, you know, organic cream that comes, um, you know, from Strauss Family Creamery and up in, you know, Northern California. And so I think that some of it is, some of it is this regional pride and who knows if it's, there's any actual scientific truth to it. But there's also recipes that have been passed down, you know, generation from generation. The, the Bassett's, it's six generations of ice cream makers oh in my family, wow. which I find amazing. So their recipes have been handed down, you know, to, you know, father, son, father, son, and in the custard in Milwaukee, it's the same thing. I would argue though that, you know, with artisanal ice cream makers, especially if you're using ingredients that are locally grown, like let's say you're, you're making a strawberry ice cream, strawberries actually do taste differently. And if you're using local strawberries and say from California or from Washington, you could do a taste right. test. The, the strawberries are different. So you're going to get a little bit of a different flavor profile depending on where you are and it'll change um, how sweet or, or not your, your ice cream is. So, yeah, I found it. I found it amazing. And I mean, the thing that I, I, one of the things I absolutely loved about the book is hearing these stories, you know, generation after generation. And, you know, as I said, that regional pride and sort of the, some of these stories that you can't quite corroborate, but are really fun to hear. Like, our cows are just happier. Or, and if you talk to the folks in Vermont, they'll say the same thing. Our, our, we have the happiest cows on the planet here. It's all about the cows. That's so funny. <laughs> it's all about the cows. You know, you're talking about this reminds me, there was a local ice cream brand in, I grew up in Knoxville and there's Mayfield Dairies and like their big thing, like people were super loyal to it. Like they would not buy anything but Mayfield because it was made like Mm -hmm. up the road. And I remember the day that I discovered that they, they had been bought out by like a national company and Mm -hmm. I felt so betrayed. Like (laughs) we were at the, we were actually at the factory. I remember just being so heartbroken, like, what? This is my local ice cream and they're national? Like, oh, bad day. It's a very bad day. <laughs> well, I love, you know, in, um, in Oregon, they have salt and straw ice cream, which is, it's fantastic. And they use a local dairy out of Eugene, Oregon, where the, the guy who runs the dairy used to be an opera singer. So he sings opera to the cows and he claims oh that goodness. that's what makes their ice cream so good. <laughs> well... that's kind of hard to top you know yeah (laughs) so in talking about regions you know you do talk about also in addition to regions I guess like the different types of ice cream and you've talked about 
some of them already. But how did you kind of decide like which ones to include in the book and were there anything that you left out and like kind of maybe just give our reader or listeners a highlight of like kind of some of the different types of ice cream you talk about? So it was actually I had to leave out a lot. I mean, when I think when I tell people about the book that I've written and they say, well, have you have you tried this place in Massachusetts or this place in St. Louis? And I have to say, no, I didn't try it. I literally feel a pang in my heart. And this idea of I really have to get out there and maybe I can do a sequel. I don't know. But I did have to choose. And a lot of what I chose was based on being able to show the different kinds of ice cream, the, the sense of, okay, there are these small artisanal shops. There's the custard. There's gelato. And how is that different from regular ice cream? I also wanted to base it on, or I really was compelled by the stories that people had to tell about how they'd gotten into it, whether it was a uh, family business or if it was something where they were just so burnt out on their techie lives that they wanted to do something completely analog and try something different. So I was drawn to certain characters and, you know, I did a lot of pre-research before I really went out to do these research trips. A lot of it was based on those stories. You know, I I felt like I I had to do frozen custard because when I was traveling across the country, when when we initially moved out to New York, we moved back, but and we we tried the custard both times in Wisconsin, and I I just fell in love with it. And you can't get it quite the same anywhere else. So um, I knew that something that that was that was such a regional specialty, I had to feature and I had to get back to. And fortunately, the stories from the custard makers that that I talked to are just were really amazing and really oh, inspiring and really they were. <laughs> It was so crazy. Yeah, and you even you even got like your rental car hijacked and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is like mm-hmm. she's really going to extremes for this ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, so when I did, the, so you do a when you do a nonfiction book, you do some sample chapters, but you do a, a book proposal. So I knew that you know what I wanted each chapter to be. And when I was doing the proposal on the frozen custard chapter. I even had put in, you know, Milwaukee is a really violent city. You know, it's one of the most violent cities in the United States. And I had that in the, in my proposal. And I said, but I'm going to go there anyway, because I do not want to miss out on this custard. I was staying in an incredibly affluent part of Milwaukee. I was staying with good friends and I was carjacked in the middle of the day while researching a book about ice cream. (laughs) You know, it's, it was, it's just so bizarre, <laughs> <Wow>. but <laughs> um, but fortunately, you know, no one was hurt. I wasn't hurt. My, uh, my family was not with me on this trip. It would be a really different kind of story if, you know, if my daughter had been with me, but she wasn't. It was me, and, you know, I kind of got into it where I was fighting. I was fighting with this carjacker a little bit about the, over this car, um, <laughs> which, you know, I, I have been fooled that that was a mistake to you know, let them take the car next time and, and don't fight. But, you know, in the moment I was a reporter, I was working on a story and this person was getting in my way and I was trying to kind of fight them off. And it's strangely kind of a theme that goes throughout my book is these rivalries and competitions and some of the little, even the little petty squabbles we have in childhood. You know, I write about my two big older brothers who I, you know, I talk about always 
sort of fighting with them. And that kind of toughened me up so that if, you know, someone was approaching me trying to take my car away from me, I was going to fight back. So it, it became part of the story and kind of part of what I was writing about in, in general about ice cream. Because there is all this nostalgia. And of course, it's, you know, this wonderful treat. But believe me, there is a lot of rivalry and competition out there. The more I read about people and how they take their ice cream and their, I guess, novelty treat things more seriously, I was just astounded mm-hmm. by all of this. And then you have all the different artisan ice cream places and like, well, they do this type of, you know, production, but we do this. How did you decide what to include all these little factoids and mm-hmm. cool little stories? Was there anything that you were surprised to learn as you were like putting together all of your research? Well, in terms of the rivalry, I, I had done a little bit of research about the ice cream truck wars before I went out there. And I I actually um, found Maria, the ice cream truck girl, online. She had been written about a little bit. So I I had found out a little bit about her before I went out to go on her truck. But when I was researching and I thought, well, maybe it's just this one particular personality. You know, maybe there's just not, it's not really as bad of a turf war as the media has made it out to be. Because I've been a daily journalist. I know how you can kind of write these stories. And sometimes it's just a one, one or two personality kind of thing, but it gets blown out of proportion. So I was very surprised when I went out to New York City, even even having read some news articles, to go onto Maria's truck and to listen to her story about why she felt that she needed to protect her route. And it was it was interesting because I write a lot about my my relationship with my dad and this feeling of connection with my dad with ice cream. And for her, she took over her ice cream truck route from her dad, who'd been a good humor man back in the 1940s and has been on the same route in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn for decades. And she felt so strongly that she was protecting her dad's memory and protecting, you know, his route when she's getting into it with these Mr. Softy drivers. And she really does get into it. She's been arrested. She has, you know, gotten to fist fights with them. She's damaged their trucks. They've damaged her truck. And it's this incredibly intense saga, but it's rooted in this desire to really maintain this connection with her father and to really honor his memory, which I, once I really understood that, it's a story, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to. And then I talked to the vice president of Mr. Softeek because I wanted to get his perspective. Okay, well, you know, we've got this, this woman who's done this truck for decades and and you know she's saying that your guys are coming on her route and he was telling the story of this group of um soft serve drivers used to be Mr. Softy drivers who split apart from Mr. Softy and they've created their own soft serve trucks New York ice cream and he said that it is just so competitive and so cutthroat on the streets of Manhattan that he cannot get Mr. Softy drivers to go on those routes. Like, they're afraid for their life. They're afraid for their family. (laughs) And when I heard that from him, I thought, okay, this is not just one personality or two, you know, two personalities. This is a trend. I mean, there is something really going on here. And what's going on is it's, 
it's business. You know, we think of ice cream as this experience that we have with our families, but on the other end of it is, you know, you, you have people who are trying to make a living and they're going to, they're going to, you know, bring it, they're going to really protect their routes and they're going to invade their territories where there's more money. And I found the stories to be as a journalist, it was just gold. It was just absolutely fascinating. It is fascinating, too, because I feel like compared to some of the other stories you had told up to that point, this one was not about the ice cream as much. Mm -hmm. Like it was, but it wasn't because, you know, it wasn't so much about like the flavor or the taste It's sheerly like territory. Exactly. I mean, the in both cases, I would say that those are not artisanal ice cream. You know, Maria's selling, um, she's selling a lot of, you know, uh, you know, pre-packaged, she, she sells all pre-packaged products. She calls herself a hard truck. Like she sells the, the hard ice cream. She, she can't make ice cream in her truck. She can't put anything together. It's all pre-packaged. And Mr. Softy, you know, it, it's coming from a pre-packaged mix. It's not like there's a lot of creativity for these ice cream makers. It's really about territory. It's that territory on like a very human basic instinct. I remember, I mean, it reminded me of um, when I was a kid growing up, we all had our spots. You know, I had mm-hmm. my spot where I sat at dinner every night. And if somebody else was in your spot, it was such a big deal. You would get, you know, I mean, it just became a, a war. And this is a family. I mean, we all love each other. <laughs> so you can see it just, there's something very, very primitive that gets touched off in our brains, I think, when when we see somebody in our territory. Absolutely. I will say that after reading about the quality of ingredients and things, there's a local artisanal ice cream shop in my neighborhood. And the last time I was there, I realized I was like, hmm, I wonder if they have a pasteurizer in the back of their mm-hmm. building. <laughs> Or where do they get their ice cream base from? Did you ask? Well, the owner wasn't there. Like, I know the owner, and I'm going to ask him the next time I'm in there. I'm going to get all all this information from him and say, okay, where where does your ice cream base come from? I would be prepared (laughs) to be a little um, surprised or maybe perhaps disappointed. That was the biggest shock to me when I wrote the book was – I really naively imagined these ice cream chefs in the back of their stores, you know, mixing the the milk and the cream and the sugar and the eggs like we do at home to make ice cream. And the laws in this country are very, very restrictive about pasteurization. And it's really hard in most places to be given a permit to get a pasteurizer and the pasteurizers are really expensive. I'm still sort of reeling from that. I mean, that I, I learned that a couple years ago and it was, it's still, it's still hard to accept. <laughs> yeah. You could feel that definitely in the book when you were writing, you could just feel like your heart was breaking that your fantasy of the perfect ice cream cone was destroyed, you know? <laughs> yes. Isn't it surprising though? I think when we hear homemade, we think, homemade. You're making everything from scratch. And that's really not the case. And I understand 
understand why it is. I mean, there there are laws for a reason. It, it's still surprising. And in in the book, I really tried to kind of shift my mindset when I was doing the reporting and think, okay, well, there are these very strict laws, and these ice cream makers have been be creative within strict confines. And there is an art in that as well. To if you're if you have to reuse prepackaged ingredients or not the flavoring, but the milk, cream, sugar, and eggs has to be prepackaged because it has to be pre-pasteurized, then you still can be creative, but your scope of being able to be creative is very, very narrow. There's still definitely an art in it because not all ice cream tastes the same. Even if, if two people are using the same machines and they're using the same prepackaged ingredients, the way that they flavor their ice cream is going to be different. The way that they um, harden it, the way they display it, the experience of going into an ice cream shop, I, I sort of feel like that does have a role to play in how we experience the ice cream. I agree, 100%. <laughs> As someone who's visited many, many, many ice cream shops, I agree. <laughs> You know, whether, I mean, sometimes it just comes down to like whether they're seating, whether the seating is, you know, nice and family friendly. And, you know, if there are windows you can look out on the street while you're eating your cone. It, ice cream is one of those foods that who you eat it with and where you're eating it, I think, really, really affects your experience of having it. Yeah, definitely. There was this little place when I grew up and after we went swimming, we would always get this mint chocolate chip ice cream. And now I want to go back there and ask them like, how did you, how did you do this? Mm -hmm. Where do you buy this from? Like, like nothing brings nostalgia back, like the perfect mint chocolate chip ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I write in the book that I've sort of become this ultimate ice cream snob and in some ways, that is the case. I mean, I really am discerning in in the flavors that I choose. But at the same time, sometimes you have an experience eating ice cream, and it's maybe not artisanal, and it's maybe not quote unquote homemade. It's just you get it on a road trip with your family, and it's it's unexpected, and you have it, and it transports you back to your childhood of eating. For me, it's usually like a chocolate or a rocky road because we had that as a lot, a lot as a kid. And it does not matter how that ice cream, to me, how that ice cream is made at that moment. I'm just having this experience of, of, be, of remembering the good things from childhood. And that's more important. And at the, so at the same time that I feel like, yeah, really, I, I do really like these wonderful flavors and these artisanal shops. And I can appreciate that. I am so appreciative when I find and when I have that unexpected experience, no matter where it is and, you know, and any shop in America. It's true. It's very true. And as I just keep thinking about all these experiences I've had with ice cream and like in college and stuff, I have so many memories attached to ice cream. It's insane. It is. When you really start thinking about it, it, it comes back to you and it can, it, it, there are so many. It's, it's one of those foods where when you eat it as a kid for the first time, a lot of kids have it. I've seen this happen because I, I spend a lot of time in ice cream shops. Kids start crying, uh-huh. even though they're eating something that's really delicious and that they love. They start crying because it's so overwhelming. They're eating something they've never had. It's cold. Most people have, you know, most kids have not eaten like a whole bowl of a cold, a frozen food like that before. And it's sweet. And our brains at that age, they can't process it. And they, 
kids start crying. My child used, my daughter used to start crying after the ice cream was over. She was pissed, like just an absolute fit. And she's the calmest child. She's always been such a sweetheart, but she had a very hard time with that whole experience being over. But the point being that even in our childhood, ice cream is this, it, it, it just has such a big significance emotionally for us. And I think that when we're eating it, even in, as an adult, it can bring us back to that, that overwhelmed feeling or that, you know, very heightened emotional state. So we've talked a lot about the history of the ice cream that you talk about in the book. And, you know, we've talked some about our, our own personal experiences with it. So, but my question was when I finished was after all this research and everything that you know, you've told us about the history of ice cream and how it's made. Where do you feel like the future of ice cream is? Like, and I don't mean Dippin' Dots. I mean, like, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Legit <laughs> future of ice cream. You know, it's, I, I've been thinking a lot about it because I sort of feel like with some of these flavors, we are, we are reaching an extreme here. Like people are, they're, they're reaching the boundaries of what you can possibly put in ice cream. I think when you're, when you've got bugs and meat and fish and it's, where else can you go? <laughs> where else do you want to go? I mean, seriously. <laughs> there, there are not that many other food items that people haven't thought of. I think one area that people are going to is beer. I've, I think the latest trend is, um, you know, craft beer flavored ice cream, which I think it, it was, it is really interesting, but there's also sort of a, the, the Thai rolled ice cream sort of pulling on different traditions from around the world and incorporating that into ice cream now and, and changing up how it's served. I think that might be where we can go. If I think if we've reached the edge of some of the unusual flavors, and I think, you know, pulling in some different kinds of flavors from across the world, different ways that it's presented. In the 19th century, ice cream was presented in these molds. They became, it was like this very, very elaborate presentation. And there are not that many places that do it anymore because it's just, it's so labor intensive. The Franklin Fountain in Philadelphia actually does it. And it, it's hours and hours of work. But I do wonder, well, maybe maybe that'll be something that people want to explore, the, the, the interest Interesting presentations and um, the different ways that we can we can serve it. It'll be interesting to see at any rate. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to try the craft beer ice cream. I haven't done that yet. I there's a, a brewer who, in Santa Cruz who's working with the, the artisanal ice cream maker here to to create that and serve it at the at the breweries. I've got to try it. I mean, I just I really do. But um, we'll see how it actually tastes. That sounds really interesting. And actually, we're almost done with our questions about ice cream. We're going to move generally into women writers. But before we go. We have a perfect transitional question. About every couple months, Autumn sends me a link mm-hmm. to this ice cream shop. I think it's in New York that does book-themed ice cream flavors. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, like, the uh, the Mothers by Britt Bennett had their own ice cream flavor. And I think Sweet Bitter had its own wine ice cream flavor. I might be just imagining that because I know there is a brand that does wine ice cream. But what are your thoughts on that? Because that combines the two things that we love, books, writing, and food. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, more. We need more of that all over. <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, uh, I wonder when you get into the like sci-fi books, though. Like, what? Oh, that'd be what so cool. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
what would that look like? I mean, that's, that's great because you can, you can really riff and get creative. Um, but it does, it does bring up the question of, you know, for like, or like thrillers, (laughs) where do you go with that? (laughs) I just Googled the name of the shop and it's Odd Fellows. Did you go to that one? Oh, I did go to Odd Fellows. You know, I. Of course you did. <laughs> I, <laughs> so, Odd Fellows, um, their ice cream is so interesting and so unusual. And they have a pasteurizer there. Um, and the, the ice cream chef there is Sam Mason, who's just a phenomenal chef. I, I was there and I tried their. Uh, they have a flavor called Ants on a Log, which is. Like ants, I don't know if you ever had that as a kid. It's yes. a celery with the peanut yep. butter and the raisins. And before I tried it, I thought, oh my god, this celery, celery ice cream. I, I mean, this is just going to be terrible. But I had that ice cream, and I'm telling you, I was transported back to you know being on the couch in my childhood home and watching as the world turns and eating, dipping the celery into the peanut butter, and just spending like my entire Entire summer doing that. Their flavors are so they they really have a remarkable way of transporting you in that in that way that I was talking about earlier of just going right back to a specific memory of our childhood. And they seem the perfect people to make books into ice cream flavors. Yeah, I think it's and they're in New York, which is which is fantastic. Oh, now I wish I now I now I need to go back. <laughs> Yeah, my ideal ice cream dream is to have the book that the flavor is based on or read it while eating the ice cream so I can have, like, the perfect, you know, transcendent experience. Oh. New dream. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, So I guess that does take us to our, my next question, which is, you know, here at The Reading Women, we're all about, like, women writers, and you in particular, um, they're first journalists that we've interviewed, and so we want to know what qualities the authors, journalists, do you admire? Absolutely. I mean, there are so many wonderful women journalists and women writers out there right now. And Mary Roach has is just yes. has been somebody that I have always looked up to as the writer who combines, you know, her first person perspective with this really interesting, quirky scientific research and going out there and doing the reporting. So I really look up to her and I was really inspired by her books when I was trying, when I was working on this. Rebecca Sklut, you know, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, that, that's just an amazing book. She's an amazing storyteller and, and combines, you know, research with reporting in a way that story just moves. You know, I love narrative. I love narrative nonfiction. And it can be really a challenge to have a narrative that, you know, starts at point A and gets you to point B. And I think those writers definitely do that. Um, Ruth Reichel is just, you know, an amazing um, food writer. I, I read her books when I was working on mine, just, you know, trying to come up with ideas of, and, and looking at, you know, the tricks of how she does what she does. So I felt like I was really lucky to have those books to read while I was working on this because it's, it's hard to feel like you're a pioneer, you know, and they've done a lot of the work. They gave me something to look up to and, and to, to strive towards. So. Yeah, and I, I agree. I found Mary wrote spontaneously in college and I read stiff first and it was like she told this amazing story about dead bodies I never knew 
I wanted to read. And mm-hmm. finding that balance in between her journalistic style and her storytelling was just, ugh, oh, so perfect. Mm-hmm. Have you read Bonk? I have. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I was like her poor husband. <laughs> yeah, that's the book all about sex. And, you know, she had some moments there where she's writing about herself and her husband sort of in these, in, um, you know, a lab kind of setting, like with, you know, sex researchers. And that's, you know, as a writer, I, <laughs> you know, as a writer who writes about your family, I have, um, my husband is also a nonfiction writer, and he writes about me, and I write about him. And there are certain boundaries and certain lines that you you try not to cross but at the same time it it can be kind of the sometimes the heart of the story is the thing that that makes people a little squeamish or maybe the thing that your loved one doesn't want you to write about so to see people just dive into it and and do that it's really it's inspiring you know it's it's wonderful and it really you can it moves the story along you know um, is there any projects you're working on now or are there any new ice cream recipes you're coming up with? I have not been experimenting with new recipes. I still do make ice cream and I am still as much of a nervous wreck when I make it as when I started making it, you know, <laughs> I don't quite have the right temperament to be an ice cream maker. I learned on this journey. Um, it requires a lot of patience and a lot of planning, both of things. I, both are qualities I sort of lack, but I do make ice cream and I enjoy it. I am still, I'm experimenting with, you know, what my next project is going to be. And so that means doing a little bit of journaling and doing some research and looking for, it won't be, it won't be a recipe book. It'll be something where I can combine the voice the memoir and the research again, because it's really what makes the writing interesting and challenging and, and what, do I, what I want to explore next. Well, we will definitely be looking for that because Kendra and I both love that kind of journalistic slash narrative memoir kind of book. So that's exciting. Yes. Well, thank you. So that's our show. We'd like to thank Amy Ettinger for talking to us about her book, Sweet Spot, which is out by Dutton, and it will be out on June 27th of this year. So it's just in time for your vacation trips, and it's I think it's a perfect summer read. So you can find more about her and her work on her website, and we will also have links to her website and her pages in our show notes and to Sweet Spot, so you can snag yourself a copy. And thank you all so much for listening. You can, as always, you can find me, Autumn Privet, at Autumn Privet on Twitter and Instagram and Litzy. And you can find Kendra at KD Winchester at the same places. And thank you so much again for listening. And don't forget to leave us a review in iTunes. It helps us out so much. It helps other people find our podcast. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you later, guys. Bye.